Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. This is John Roca, one third of the Geek Buddies, with this awesome ad for you. If you like this show and you want to make your own, and some of you have reached out and asked us about making your own podcast, well, let me tell you about Anchor. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never heard before. Go ahead and let your freak flag fly. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many more places. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Take it from us here at the Geek Buddies. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now, on with the Geek Buddies show. Everybody, welcome to another episode of the Geek Buddies. Hey! I forgot how we started the show. <laughs> well, it's been a bit. Uh, we had a live episode last week, which was a lot of fun. Had a lot of great conversations, kind of ending my uh, time doing the show in LA. But now we're back this week. I'm uh, fresh in the studio in San Diego, having a really great time, uh, enjoying my life for now. It's kind of a weird thing, just kind of be super relaxed, working on a bunch of things, and actually having room where my hands don't touch the walls on opposite sides of me. So I appreciate that very much. I'm excited about it. We got Prove so it. much. Prove it. it. It looks like the same space. <laughs> right. I'll take you all out later on the camera. Uh, but yeah, it's. Uh, I'm excited. Uh, I'm one of your hosts here. Uh, my, my name is uh, John Roca. I'm a writer, producer, and host for the Outlaw Nation. Uh, I'm Michael Vogel. I'm a writer and producer of animated TV shows and movies. And this is Shannon McClung. I'm an animation writer and a television actor where you may have seen me on Silicon Valley, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and the Goldbergs. Yeah, number of things. And you just had an audition. That's why you're all clean-shaven. Look at him. Look at him. All yes. sweet. Look at that. Yes. He looks so- I, I was very sad to get rid of the double-chin camouflage. It's on, it's, it's, it's <laughs> on full display oh, right now. Your face looks like a baby's butt. It's beautiful. <laughs> beautiful. Luckily, that is what I auditioned for. So this is me. This is me rubbing it. This is me rubbing it. Anyway. <laughs> no, oh, you, got no you. Men, you got a problem with men touching each other? Since when? All right. Let's move on. Is the rubbing of the rubbing of the Shannon's butt face is a little bit oh, different oh, than what? a lovely <laughs> caress between two gentlemen friends. <laughs> Yeah, this is better. I'm sorry. By the way, uh, by the way, just so we're clear, if any guy came up to me in a bar and rubbed my face with the face that you did, it, no, yeah, I am. Untouched. No. That's that's not homophobia. That's creepophobia. <laughs> that is not outlawed. All right, let's move on to. We're going to talk about so many things today. We got a lot of things to cover. And uh, for those of you who are returning to be 
uh, who are returning listeners or, or, or viewers of uh, the Geek Buddies, thank you so much for coming back in. Uh, for those of you who are new, thanks so much for taking a chance on us. The way we do the show is each of us takes a geek news item. We talk about it amongst ourselves for a little bit. Then we then we take a little bit of a break uh, for about, I don't know, five seconds on the YouTube uh, channel, but longer on the uh, on the Anchor channel or on the podcast feed just to give time for our sponsors to promote the stuff they're promoting. Then we jump back and talk about our main topic. And our main topic is a fun article from Vulture uh, talking about the 100 most influential animated sequences uh, in film, TV, or wherever. So it's going to be a fun thing to jump into. Michael suggested this one. Thought, hey, it's a slow news week. This seems like a fun thing for us to get into and for you all to participate in as well. So, um, all right, who wants to take this uh, first one? Well, I will start. Uh, okay. We uh, we did we did our live show last week, which was a ton of fun. Uh, got yeah. some really good, embarrassing Roka stories. And literally, no sooner had we stopped recording, uh, <laughs> the news dropped uh, that uh, Jamie Fox is rumored to be returning in the next uh, Sony slash Marvel Spider Man film, playing the same character he played in the Amazing Spider Man franchise, Electro. Uh, so, you know, a little bit of old news. It's, uh, everybody's already been discussing it, but we figured since we didn't get a chance to talk about it last week, uh, we wanted to dive in and have our responses to this news. Uh, a, what do we think about this news? What do we think this means for Spider-Man? Is this a good idea? Is this a bad idea? A uh, lot of opinions uh, on social media about it. No one quite knows what to make of it. Uh, yeah. So what do you guys think? Jamie Foxx's Electro coming back one more time to shock audiences. Hey. <laughs> well, and he he was quoted in the announcement article that this time he wasn't going to be blue. So I feel like the initial reaction was sort of like, huh? Because yeah. everyone flipped out for J.K. Simmons at the end of Far From Home. The idea that they were not recasting J. Jonah Jameson, that they were bringing him back from the Tobey Maguire franchise. And everything, everyone seemed pretty jazzed about that. Clearly <laughs> not the same guy, or, or, or he, he you know, lost his hair. Um, the Jamie Foxx of it, it was sort of like, huh, well, how is that going to work? And immediately, live-action Spider-Verse theories start start unfurling and it's like oh is this is this what is going to happen like are they I, i'm waiting for the announcement that toby mcguire and andrew garfield have signed on at this point like yeah. you know the where we left peter parker at the end of spider-man far from home he had been outed he was probably going to be on the run so right. that's just the avenue that we all sort of assumed it was going to be like are we going to have the trial of peter parker is jennifer walters going to be his attorney the idea that they're throwing in uh, a, a villain from a previous iteration into this one seems to lend credit to the idea that they are fully embracing not only the the multiverse aspect of marvel but there could possibly be incorporating aspects from the pre tuviet to previous Spider-Man franchise. Um, initially, I was sort of like, eh, but now I'm kind of like, God, that opens up a lot of doors for some potentially very cool storytelling. Also, it could be an absolute train wreck. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Yeah, that's the kind of that's kind of where I'm landing on is like this place. This, I'm, I feel like I'm teetering on this fence between train wreck and incredible. Like I'm just like I don't know what's gonna happen. Uh, but I hope I fall into the incredible uh, side of things, and it's great, you know. But this idea of Electro coming, I mean, it's so funny. You bring a, a villain back from a film that's pretty universally 
not liked or reviled and was the one that stopped uh, the fur a further installment of this version of Spider-Man. I mean, if they announce Rhino, I'm going to throw shit at a wall. I mean, I don't want to see any <laughs> of that. But it also, uh, I also heard rumors this morning as we were hosting SCN Live this morning, there were rumors uh, that people are talking about that they've reached out to Dane DeHaan and that they've reached out to Toby, to Toby McGuire to come into this thing as well. And that Andrew Garfield is going to be the next person. There. So if they're going to start creating this idea of multiverse, then my mind immediately went to, well, who directed the first version of the Spider-Man one of the films? Oh, Sam Raimi. Raimi. And what is he doing? Oh, the multiverse of madness. And if you watch Boss Logic, if you follow him on social media or on Instagram, he did a design of the two different Spider-Man hands flipping their webs out of these two different portals, Doctor Strange portals and what have you, that made it look like that may be the angle they're going. We're starting with WandaVision into the multiverse of madness, which Sam Raimi is directing. So is this a way to jump into the Spider-Man thing and set up not only just the idea of a multiverse, but also the idea of Sinister Six? Is that something? Because, I mean... They, uh, Holland's only in for two movies or two more movies on the MC, in the MCU contract. Are they just going to you know cut that after the two movies and then move him into Sony? And if they are, they've got to have a universe for him to play in. And maybe this is their way. The Venom stuff, maybe the Silver Black stuff comes back, and Carnage is going to be in this thing. And then you know you open it up to Sinister Six, so he's going to have a bigger play field playing field to be in if he goes back to. Uh, being under Sony auspices out of the MCU. So maybe this is their way of doing it. And now the J. Jonah Jameson thing, in retrospect, makes a lot of sense. In this universe, J. Jonah Jameson is is uh, doing a web blog. In the other Tobey Maguire universe, he's the actual head of the Daily Bugle. So there's all these different possibilities now that come into my head if they're going to go this route. But that being said, and Mike will probably back me up on this, this is Sony, and it's not like they have a great track record necessarily of doing fantastical elaborate things well, exceeding at them so that is true uh but also like <laughs> they putting a bunch of spider-man characters that sony already has the rights to into marvel movies doesn't give them like they can have as many electros and rhinos as they want after mm. tom holland is done with the marvel movies so i mean i think the whole idea that they're doing this to try and plant the seeds like Peter Parker can play in the Spider-Man universe for as many movies as Sony wants to make for the rest of their days. Like that's right. there, there's nothing about giving them over to Marvel that does anything. That being said, I do think um, I, I, a, a lot of the same logic lines that you were kind of going on. Like, I don't think, as we talked about when we broke down the WandaVision trailer the other day, I don't think that what WandaVision is exploring or what Wanda is doing technically counts as part of a multiverse. Mm -hmm. That being said, we know that she is going right into Doctor Strange 2 that is yeah. directed by Sam Raimi that is entitled The Multiverse of Madness. We also know that uh, from everything we've heard from DC and Warner Brothers that they are also going to be exploring a multiverse. So I think the idea yeah. of a multiverse, the idea of pulling people from other movie franchises is out there and mm -hmm. i do think that jamie fox coming back as electro kind of definitely leads towards that direction mm -hmm. um you know i mean i do think also to your point you know the last time we saw peter parker he's been outed we have no idea what that means also he's been outed and there's no tony stark to go to there's no like there's stark industries i guess there's happy to look out for him um so you just start doing the math on who are the other characters in the universe that he may or may not interact with. And so I do think it definitely seems like they are going down this road of uh, whatever happens, kind of what we said about like the Marvel philosophy of storytelling. We know where Wanda's going and we know that whatever happens in WandaVision, whether it's left 
unresolved or not, is mm-hmm. going to lead to her being in Doctor Strange 2 and Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Right. Doctor Strange 2 is coming out. There's going to be a multiverse. It's going to be mad. We have no idea what that means, but the results of that could directly lead into uh, what's going on in Spider-Man's universe. And so I think this is an easy way toward... It, it's also an easy way towards... This is a little bit of a cheat, but to the Sinister Six of it all, yeah. it's an easy way to get to your Sinister Six in your third movie without having six villains to pull from. Right. Like right now <laughs> in Spider-Man's sort of arc as a hero, he's got the Vulture, he's got... Uh, he's got uh, Mysterio. Mysterio. But he doesn't even have Mysterio. Mysterio's dead. So he's got the Vulture. Oh, he's, he's, got got, like, he's got Scorpion. Scorpion but he yeah. doesn't have six villains to bump up against. Right. But if you're able to open up the doors to the multiverse and pull in whoever you want from that other universe, and they've all got an ax to grind with the Spider-Man of any universe, like that gets you there pretty quickly. That's ambitious. That is to your point, Johnny, one of those things where you go, you're biting off a lot. <laughs> Are you going to be able to pull this off? Now, right. the Spider-Man team creatively on this new franchise uh, has proven that they can do a lot. I mean, making Vulture and Mysterio awesome and interesting, fascinating villains is no small feat. If there was anybody that was going to pull a bunch of villains from lesser loved movies or more beloved movies and bring them all into one universe, mm-hmm. uh, I would trust them to do it. So it'll be interesting to see. I mean, it also makes me believe more and i think we talked about this a little bit with the x-men and the fantastic four even blade it makes me believe that marvel probably is going down this road of threats coming from parallel kind of doing exactly what uh what far from home pretended to do but for real uh you know far from home was all about mysterio showing up from another earth because there was these threats that needed to be dealt with he was lying and full of shit but maybe that's exactly the road we're going to take. So it'll be well, interesting all, to see. And think back to the end of the Morbius trailer where yeah. we got to see Michael Keaton's Adrian Toomes. And, you know, last I knew he was in prison. He looked to, yeah. he looked to be out of prison and maybe dressed like a paramedic. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, the idea that they are leaning into the multiverse theory, as, as Vogel said, that's a, that's a lot to bite off. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and technically, I mean, technically, and maybe not, like we're gonna see. I think where Sony's head was at when Venom came out and where their head seemed to be at when Morbius came out was this is technically the Marvel universe. Mm-hmm. We just don't see any of the other heroes because we don't have the rights, but eventually we hope that they can come in. Now we might find out that is not the case to your point. And I don't know, it's it opens up a lot, but it, I do find it interesting that um that Marvel, is, you know, like multiverses and parallel dimension versions of other characters is a staple of comic books. Anyone who's read DC Comics or Marvel Comics or mm-hmm. any other comic, like we, everyone has opened up portals to other universes. The yeah. Avengers have fought the Justice League. Like the Joker has fought the Red Skull. Like it's all happened. So this isn't new, but I mean, it's a lot for moviegoers to handle. And I think Into the Spider-Verse kind of opened up the possibilities. And now it looks like DC and Marvel on the live action side are 100% uh, yeah. just going to try and cash in on on that and make it work. So like, yeah. I mean, I think I, like, we talked about this a little bit with the X-Men. Like if they overuse it, I think it can be a cheat. Right. Like I don't necessarily want to see a portal. Story-wise. Yeah. Yeah. Like I don't necessarily want to see um, – a world open up where uh, like a portal opens in a movie and like fucking storm wolverine cyclops gene gray professor x iceman and colossus jump through and they're like what's going on here let's all fight like i don't 
I, I feel like I'll just be like, what's happening? Yeah. But yeah. But I will say that like everything that Marvel has done in the way that they've kind of built Phase Four, Eternals, uh, Shang Chi, like everything they're doing, like it does seem like they still have. And I've said this a thousand times on here, and I'll say it a thousand more. They still are. They still have the thing that is the best thing about them, which is their patience. Yeah. So if they are going multiverse, at least for the moment, I kind of trust them to handle it even more so than I trust DC and Warner Brothers to handle it, even though everything that DC and Warner Brothers are doing, I'm excited about. Yeah, and I wonder if this opens the door. You talk about multiverse, and you know, by by setting up the Sinister Six, I just meant like, okay, once it goes to Sony, it's all set up. They can just kind of do their thing now. They're already set up as universe. Does this open the door also to Miles Morales? Is this something where they can negotiate for Miles Morales to show up and, and be a part of this universe? And who will be the Peter Parker that is the, uh, you know, kind of the mentor of Miles Morales? Will it be the Tobey Maguire one? It can't be the Tom Holland one. But will it Why be not? Because he's too young. So will it be the Tom, will it well, be the Tobey Maguire one or the Andrew Garfield one? Well, but. Yes. Tom. In the yes, in the world Use of the your comics, words. Use your well, words, in the yeah. world of the comics or in the world of into the Spider Verse, yeah. yes, you have the older Peter Parker. But right. that whole idea of older, over the hill Peter Parker training young Miles Morales in the way they mm -hmm. did it in Spider Verse is unique to Spider Verse. Uh, well, like not in just the, that. In the video game, it's an older Peter Parker teaching Miles right. Morales, and the one that's coming out in the DLC that's coming out soon. But in the Ultimate Universe, where Miles Morales originally appeared in the first place, Peter Parker yeah. was still a relatively young kid, died, and Miles Morales didn't have a Spider-Man to train him. Like, it wasn't until they joined universes and destroyed their Ultimate Universe, and Miles Morales got to make the jump because he was so popular, that you had sort of grown-up Peter Parker and younger Miles. So I'm just saying, like, I don't think it's a given that we have to assume you need to have a grown-up Peter Parker training Miles Morales. You could have Tom Holland star in two more Spider-Man movies in the next Avengers movie and get killed and have Miles Morales step in and having never met him, or you of can course. have Tom Holland as at the age that he is with a much younger, you know, middle school age or like, you know, early high school age, Peter uh, Miles Morales. So I think that, I don't think that you have to assume that it has to be a Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield that's well, then, going to bring in Miles Morales. Well, I say I wouldn't want to see that. That wouldn't excite me at all in any way, shape, or form to see a young kid trying to school another young kid about when when that young kid's still figuring out what to do with his life and hasn't well, done. You know, that, those are to me. I just I get your point. Obviously, I thousand percent get your point. I just wouldn't be on board with it. I don't need a a high school senior teaching a high school sophomore about how to be a superhero. I'd rather have someone in their 20s or 30s who's, who's actually right. been through some shit to come right. down and actually tend. Not, not that he hasn't been through some shit as, as Tom Holland at that age, but to have the maturity to process what the this fuck is they're sounding, going. This is sounding eerily similar to me to mm -hmm. when they cast Tom Holland in the first place and you got all mad and said you had to have a grown-up muscular man playing Peter Parker. That has nothing to do with it, but you're trying to make a tenuous <laughs> connection and I respect you trying. Yeah, it has saying. actually nothing to do with it. I'm just saying, I'm just saying that And you know what? All, You've been wrong about casting on some of these just as much as I've been wrong about it. You defend every cast. So, it's not about, well, I had an idea of what I wanted to see from the next Peter Parker. That's what I had. Tom Holland came in, blew the doors off, and is that speaks volumes about me. I I said yes, absolutely. This is a great Peter right. Parker. I was totally wrong, but but the thing is, my approach to it mentally is I want to see an older Peter Parker, and I love Tommy McGuire to be that one because the connecting of the oldest to the newest would be so awesome for me personally to see have that happen as a nerd and a geek and a fan of these Spider-Man movies. Sure. But 
Sure, it could go the Tom Holland route. Only, absolutely, it just would take only, harder for me to believe it. Well, but the only other point I'll make is that, like, I mean, again, what we said, Tom Holland has two more Spider-Man movies or two more Marvel movies that he's allowed to be in or whatever yeah. the deal is. Yeah. But a that could get extended, and b even if it doesn't, two more two more movies is three years, four years, like depending on what the movies are that he shows oh, up in. I'm so. talking about Miles Morales now, introducing him in Spider-Man Three as a character, as some because if you're going to open multiverses, then the possibility of having a Miles Morales somewhere in one of these multiverses is possible well, as well. Well, there's also already a Miles Morales in the Marvel universe somewhere. I mean, in Homecoming, uh, Donald, Donald Glover, right? right. So, right. so there is a younger kid already who exists as Miles Morales. You don't know, like, technically, I mean, if you're going to get super right. nerdy about it, if a Miles Morales who's older pops into our universe in a multiversal sense, there'll be two Miles Moraleses in the Marvel yeah. universe somewhere. So yeah. that can get a little confusing. So I don't know. I think that I think it opens well, up Miles a lot of to go. I do, I do not think we'll be getting a Miles Morales in the next movie. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see. It'll be interesting we'll to see. see. And just and before we move on, just to push back on John's theory, just a tad sure. that he, he would like to see Tobey Maguire. God, I'd like to it's see It's not Andrew. theory, it's my opinion. It's well, no, theory. that okay. Your your opinion. Yeah. My my opinion is God, I'd love to see Andrew Garfield get one more shot at it. Yeah, that's fair everybody too. Everybody enjoyed him. Everybody like he he was he was a great it was a great performance in a couple of meh movies. Right. What an opportunity to bring that guy back and give him a proper send-off. But yeah. that's just me. And you know, he loved it. He loved playing him. He was it was his uh Childhood dream to play Spider-Man. He went to that Comic-Con, dressed up as Spider-Man to ask that question, which was an awesome stunt. So I think that'd be great, too. And if you're going to bring I mean, Electro, I'll be damned if you don't bring in that Spider-Man, for God's sakes. Because Jamie Foxx wasn't the reason people went to see that movie. So just to, And then just to push back on both of you a little bit on that, uh, I, I was, you know, there's a big difference between... There's a reason that the Spider-Man in Miles' universe dies at the beginning of Spider-Verse. And there's a reason mm -hmm. that the Michael Keaton thing makes sense for Warner Brothers because we all know that Ben Affleck is out. Uh, bringing in Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield, who are both a little bit older, and having Tom Holland in your universe, yeah. and all of a sudden saying, well, I want Tobey Maguire to train a Miles from another universe, or I think mm -hmm. this, or Andrew Garfield. Like, I, I, I would be, I don't think that there's a similar situation because I think Tom Holland is arguably the better of the three as far as the people who played Spider-Man. Had better material in a lot of ways. I know some people think Toby is the OG, yeah, like whatever, but I'm just saying that like Tom Holland by no means is slouching in his spider duties. No. Nor does he seem particularly inclined to stop playing Spider-Man anytime mm -hmm. soon. So in both situations, I think that if we do see a Toby Maguire or we do see an Andrew Garfield, I'm pretty sure that unless Tom Holland is like, I'm fucking out, both of them would be playing small supporting roles in deference to, to to Tom being prim primary spider for the MCU. Probably. Agreed, Probably. agreed. But also, why can't you just let us have our joy? Yeah, I know. What's wrong with you? I'm What's super happy. Problem? Be happy about it. Be joyful for your opinions that are most likely never going to happen. I just want to like. Set I'm going to push back on you. <laughs> John, John, mute him. Mute him. <laughs> no, no. But, but one thing I will say that'll be interesting uh, uh, of this whole situation is what what is the end result going to be? And what is the point of this? Is this a point? Is this a new thing where we're just kind of accepting all these multiple Spider Man's multiple uh, multiverses? All I mean, you know, DC is talking about doing that as well as this. As Snyder keeps talking about the fact with uh, 
with this just league if it does well then maybe there might be more and you're like well wait what does that do we've got of different jokers multiple jokers already in the dc universe not necessarily in a multiverse but we've seen multiple jokers that supposedly are existing at the same time so there's just a lot of this that i find to be fascinating but i don't know what the end result is going to be it is interesting and it makes me a little bit more nervous with marvel like dc is clearly using the multiverse to fix something that is yeah, broken. Right. Like yeah. like they they've they've gone back and forth on what <laughs> is what and where it fits and we've talked we've covered this a thousand times like yeah. DC is going we need to do this to kind of set the ship right. This is our new group. This is our new league. Let's move forward. Let's use the multiverse and then you have it as a tool to use it when you want. Marvel everything's working great. They don't need a multiverse. They've mm-hmm. built one giant continuous universe. So them opening up a multiverse there's gonna have to be a big reason for it to happen and a huge payoff and tbd what that payoff is going to be because you're right once you open a multiverse it gives you a lot of potential opportunities to pull in other actors other movie and it gives you the potential to do kind of whatever you want um it also can be a huge story crutch and something you fall back on that people will get tired of really quickly so that's always the danger that's the fear that's the fear people have with the with the last Star Wars film that they were going to do the world within worlds thing and pull in Luke who's alive all of a sudden and pull in Leia who's alive or whatever they were going to do, uh, and it was everyone's greatest fear. It didn't come true, but it was a fear that people had. So, but anyway, we'll keep tabs on this story. We'll see what happens. Uh, it certainly it tickles the nerd brain for sure, but it also worries the nerd brain for or the film brain uh, in this situation uh, for sure. All right, let's move on to our next thing. What's our next thing? Is it me? It's you. Oh, well, well, what do you know? Uh, Well, some sad news uh, came over uh, the uh, recent uh, few days here about uh, Glow being canceled. One of my favorite shows over there on Netflix. I mean, you guys know, those of you who know me or follow me, you know I'm a massive fan of professional wrestling. I actually watched the real Glow Girls way back when. Would watch it on the one of those random channels that it was on, and always found it to be an interesting spectacle to watch at the time. And they turned that real life thing into an actually very good series that explored female relationships, explored this idea of underdog, explored this idea of female professional wrestling. So much was here for people to enjoy and watch and connect to multiple characters. Great actresses in Allison Brie, Betty Gilpin, so many of these actresses that came through. I forget the actress's name, but she's uh, she was a, a significant part of Perry Mason uh, this past season, this first season of the show. All of these great actresses come through. And then Mark Marin really showing, picking up where he left off on the Marin show and really t- doing even more with his natural hangdog approach throughout this. And there was three seasons of it. This past season had Gina Davis as a significant part of that season when they went to Vegas and everything was kind of leading to this thing of like, well, what are we going to do if it's canceled? What, how do we go on with our lives? And almost like mirroring real life, uh, the show has been canceled out after it got approved for a fourth season. Of course, the creators came out, were really positive about it and said that all the, uh, said, you know, it was, it was an honor to do it. Uh, there's way more important things going on in the world. People are really dying from COVID. And sadly, our show has been, has died as well, but we had, we had a great time. And then Mark Maron came out this morning, I believe, I think, or last night and said, last night. Oh, yeah, last night, I'd like to have a movie about it. When I was on Mornings with the Outlaw on Tuesday, I, I spoke about that and said, I hope it becomes a movie. So Mark Maron said the same thing. I, I hope this is a universal energy or a hive mind thing where they do make a movie with these ladies. And of course, it was canceled because of the close contact. And shout out to Netflix, who said they paid all the ladies for season four already. Even though they're not going to shoot them, 
they've paid them for being in these uh, in these episodes. So I mean, for me, I just think it's it was a rarity of a show for so many reasons, and to have it canceled because of COVID is one of the few cancellations where I've actually been like just really down about it, really sad about it. So I don't know if you guys watched it. What do you guys think about this news? Oh, I love I love Glow. Um, I thought especially the first two seasons were just were dynamite. They were mm-hmm. they were so enjoyable. Season three, I don't think was as strong, but that doesn't mean it was not good. It was still right. very, very good. And they yeah. really they they teed it up. I think they knew going in that the fourth season was going to be their last one. So they teed mm-hmm. it up for what could have been what should have been a, a really great conclusion. Um, yeah. But yeah, moving forward, I mean, like the few auditions that I've had coming in. Um, you find out sort of just how stringent the new safety guidelines are. And when you have a cast of, of that many people, it's a very large cast working in such close proximity to each other. Like that's, that is going to, uh, there are going to be challenges yeah. with that. And it's really unfortunate that they, as of right now, that they didn't get to finish their story. But like Mark Maron said, like, let let some time go by. Let's let's get adjusted yeah. to the new moral uh, new normal, and give them a movie. Like they already mm-hmm. had the fourth season written. Like it was it was ready to go. I mean, we saw with the Deadwood film that you know yeah. came out years later. Yeah. Um, that and and I'm I'm going to venture a guess that Glow's viewership was higher than Deadwood's just because I think Netflix more people have Netflix. Yeah. Um, here here's hoping that they get to finish their story, but if not. They gave us three excellent seasons of television and definitely worth rewatching just for just for the performances of Allison Brie and Betty Gilpin. I mean, just yeah. really great. Yeah. yeah, I love I loved it. I mean, I was super bummed to hear the news. It's one it's one of those you're just like, oh, man, yeah. come on. Like it. And I do think, you know, we are so used to there shows used to get canceled all the time. We were growing up, you know, you right. watching a show excited to see where it goes just disappears i mean that's you know firefly <laughs> you know you're yeah. like like i mean you know you think about it like like that was something we were way more used to i think now we live in an era where uh, you know knock on wood most of the shows that we really love kind of get to see it through to the end or get to do a truncated end like find out they're going to end earlier than they thought but at least get a chance to wrap it up and so glow was such a good show it's the same shame that doesn't i do think you're right you know i mean as soon as mark Marin came out and said that i think you know season four johnny to your point we all know that glow was canceled yeah like we all we all know that this was a thing that was it existed and then it ended, yeah. and so they've created all these really fun and interesting characters. And you know, depending on, I do think they will come back to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you've got you've got a fan base. You've got especially if some of these actresses pop and become even bigger than they are now. Yeah. Um, a lot of them are already really big, but like you know, even if things if they go on and do even really bigger things, I think you'll find a thing. It'll be interesting to see is if they do get that movie or a limited run series or whatever, do they do a truncated version of what their season four was going to be? Mm. Or if enough time has passed, do they do the, hey, we saw them at the height, uh, you know, at the end of season three, we saw where they were at, and now it's a decade later. Right. And it's right. been, can- you know, we find out what happened sort of in a new and different way. So yeah. it, it, I, I hope that even if it's not the ending that the creative team had planned, uh, that we do at some point in the future get to revisit this world and uh, and wrap things up in some kind of bow because I think it's it's too good not to. 
Yeah, for those of you who are watching, if you haven't seen that Glow documentary that's on Netflix about the real ladies of Glow, you need to watch that documentary. That, that It's all of them, like, the ones that are still alive, talking about what that experience was like, what it was like being, you know, and they're all talking about it in retrospect because it's been many, many years since. So that, uh, what you propose, Mike, is it could be a really interesting way into this. I mean, remember the end of Parks and Rec, they jumped three years into the future. So, I mean, it's not the realm of possibility. Say that again. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. A little static on your end, Mike. I'll wait till you uh, get a little more. But like, yeah, you could go forward 10 years or whatever. What's up, Shannon? Are we, are we up? Yeah. Well, no, it, it got real staticky. Mikey is pixelated is. right now. He, All right. There you now. go. But uh, yeah, I mean, we, ju we so jumping forward 10 years and having these and they've all moved on with their lives and maybe coming back together for a 10 year reunion that's a vehicle to flash back to what would have been a season 4 and add some scenes from that season 4 that occurred between the ladies and then have them talking about it in retrospect with each other and flashing back it could be an interesting way to do that uh, as, and give closure to the fans of this show and i said because i mean this show really sh like kind of opened my mind about like some of these conversations amongst women in these situations of different ages, different genders, I'm starting to have different uh, backgrounds, different ethnicities, uh, different situations financially, all of these conversations that were had uh, were a really great window uh, into women. And it's a rarity to see that um, on TV nowadays or on even on film nowadays. So when you have something like this, it's actually a really groundbreaking thing uh, to have and to lose it is a shame because I don't know what's out there that kind of replaces it at the level uh, and with the amount of female characters that Glow had. Yeah, and and Betty Gilpin also uh, penned a really beautiful essay that is uh, that is in mm -hmm. Vanity Fair, um, just talking about her experience on the show, talking yeah. about the creators, talking about working with Allison Brie. And if you are a fan of the series, I definitely encourage you to look it up. It's a it's a very very well written, very well written essay. Nice, nice. Well, we'll see what happens. And uh, of course, we'll keep tabs on this as well. All right. What's our last thing here in the Geek News item section of the Geek Buddies? Well, the movies keep getting delayed, but the marketing keeps coming. <laughs> <laughs> Just in the past uh, couple of days, we've gotten, we've gotten several new trailers. But the three that we're specifically going to talk about uh, for this section is we got the second trailer for... Uh, Free Guy, starring Ryan Reynolds, Jodie Comer, and Taika Waititi. We got the first trailer for the Tom Hanks-Paul Greengrass reunion uh, called News of the World, and also a trailer, which I had no idea of this movie's existence. Um, it wasn't until John actually texted, <laughs> texted us about it, called The 355, that is uh, written and directed by Simon Kinberg and stars just a who's who of... of uh, of, of incredible, incredible female female performers, starring Jessica Chastain, uh, Lupita Nyong'o, Penelope Cruz, Diane Kruger. I mean, it it's. I mean, I'll I'll just say real quickly what I thought of each one of them before I throw it to you guys. But okay. the three five five, I've always been a Jessica Chastain fan. I think she's she's a wonderful wonderful performer, and I've been waiting for the day where she actually gets to kick some ass, and she gets to do that. Uh, uh, tenfold in this trailer. Mm. Uh, after that, we have Free Guy, which again, as of right now, it's coming out in December. Fingers crossed, we get to see it because it just looks like it looks like a a fun movie, but it also looks like a really sweet movie. Mm. And I'm a big Tom Hanks fan. Uh, I was a big fan of Captain Phillips. Like I know some people took issue with some of the creative 
creative liberties they took with the story. Um, but I think it delivered one of his most heartbreaking performances mm -hmm. and him and Paul Greengrass coming back together where he's basically a, uh, takes place after the civil war. He plays an army captain who's trying to get uh, a little girl back to her family. All three of these trailers, I'm, I'm very excited to see, but gentlemen, what did you think? Yeah, it just made me sad that I can't go to the movies. <laughs> well, you can. You just can't go in LA. Well, watching all, yeah, watching all these trailers just made me really, really miss movies because each one very, very different. Like you're right, the second trailer for Free Guy, just as funny as the first trailer, but definitely to your point, brought out a little bit more of the heart. You kind of get that this is a non-player character, an NPC in his world that realizes his world is pretty limited, but loves the world that he lives in anyways. Like really, you know, like where you have like the uh, Jody Comer and these characters being like, you know, you're not real. Like this isn't, and he's like. He's like, yeah, but this is what I got. And these people are important to me. And I was like, it was amazing to watch a trailer. Where like, this is super brilliant. This is high concept. This looks really funny. Also, I'm getting a little bit of a lump in my throat because I think this is super sweet and adorable. Uh, 355, to your point, like, I was like, this is just awesome, super spy, badassery with women. Like, it, like, it was just like, it was like, it just looks like total, uh, everything I love about the Bourne movies, uh, plus. Um, and yeah, who doesn't want to see Tom Hanks? in a just be tom hanks like 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 the tom hanks one particularly just really made me go this is why you're a movie star like i would go see like i'll go see you do it like as tom hanks gets older and older he just like i'm like i just want to go watch you in movies because it just you're, you're like you're like my cinematic grandfather i just like i'm you just you just there's a level of comfort in watching him and everything about this trailer was like and you know it was also nice because most of the time in the trailers that we're talking about um you know, we're always talking about the, the newest comic book movie, the newest franchise movie, the Star Wars is, the Harry Potter. So News of the World is a little bit more of the like, oh, this is one of those grown up movies that I'm really going to like, too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I liked all three of these trailers. Uh, Free Guy feels like Wreck-It Ralph combined with Pixels. And uh, although Pixels is not great, I do. I like Wreck-It Ralph. So I like that. Plus, it's Ryan Reynolds having fun. There was a lot of rumors that, that this was supposedly Deadpool 3. But now we see that it isn't, so it is actually legitimately. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of rumors that that was that that was Deadpool three. But we're seeing now that it, obviously, clearly, it's a separate film. Jodie Comer getting a chance to star in a film. I'm happy about that as well, as because I'm such a massive fan of her and Killing Eve, uh, seeing her play this kind of character. We even get uh, Steve uh, from Stranger Things jumping in on playing a role in this. Taiko Atiti, very funny. So and Ryan Reynolds doing his thing. The CG sometimes bothered me because it wasn't as cohesive as I would like. But other, overall, though. I do like it feels like it feels like a perfect film to drop on VOD for people to pay and watch. I mean, I don't think there's any reason to watch that in the theater, but you can't. It could be fun entertainment, could be like family entertainment at this time when so many people are suffering with so much and want uh, something to escape into could be a lot of fun, especially because it's video games. So that could relate in a lot of ways to uh, multiple generations for sure. Three, five, five, a lot of fun. Um Kinberg gives me a lot of pause as a director, so I don't know, but it but I know that uh, Jessica Chastain's Freckle Pictures of Freckle Studios is producing this, so you know she is like full on about this uh, about this uh, uh, film and making it happen. And what a cast: Lupita Nyong'o, Penelope Cruz, Diane Kruger uh, playing the German, which I'm a fan of. Uh, I like when she <laughs> does her natural German rather than trying to play other characters. Uh, and uh, and a uh, Fai Bing Bing, who of course. Uh, uh, recovering from some tax issues where she had to pay a hundred million dollars 
in black Texas <laughs> and it's finally come back to film. So they, they had nice chemistry throughout. I just need to know what the story is because I know Sebastian Stan's in this, Edgar Ramirez is in this. So what's the story? I know they're stopping terror, cyber terrorism, but what's the story? So maybe the second trailer will give us more. This was more about introducing the team and how they're coming together. And they all have these backstories, right? Lebita Nyong with her boyfriend, Penelope Cruz and her kids. So we've got some nice uh, yeah. nuance going on with these characters. And then, of course, News of the World, which is essentially Paul Greengrass's Fox News movie, uh, I think, because it's a guy who's not just taking the girl back. He's also going town to town and telling nonfiction stories and claiming these newspapers are lying. So it's very, very interesting, topical film uh, set at a time five years <laughs> after the Civil War. So uh, there's they only alluded to it, but that's what the log line says. So they only that's interesting. That yeah. I did not know. I didn't. I didn't read the log line, so I didn't know that part of it. That is uh, yeah. makes me even more interested in going to see it. Right. So what's <laughs> what's the girl? What's the girl represent? Why is he? What? Why are people trying to steal her or buy her from him or whatever? What does she represent? So. It's only a minute and 20 second trailers. We won't get too much. So I want to see what is she, does she have some famous story? Is this a book of Eli situation where she has this information that has to get passed on to the rest of the world? So he's protecting her. I don't know. So uh, this is, uh, it leaves me with a lot of questions, but I trust Paul Greengrass and I trust Tom Hanks. So it excites me on a lot of levels. Yeah. I mean, thinking about your Simon Kinberg comment, like I do, hmm. I do understand because he'd only done Dark Phoenix at this point, I think. Um, <laughs> As a director, Which, yes. But he's as a director, as a director. But writing-wise, I mean, Simon Cunberg yeah, has yeah. been involved with some stuff that's been really good. And as yeah. far as like Dark Phoenix, it's like, okay, yeah, I, it, it wasn't great. I mean, it's it wasn't a good movie. I, I found no fault with the direction. I found no fault with oh. with with how okay. he directed the movie. I just don't think. I think you got a you have a franchise movie like that. You got a lot of you got a lot of chefs in the kitchen. You have a first time director. <laughs> I think he was probably limited in what he could in what he could actually do. Wait, so, wait, no, that cannot be an excuse. There are plenty of directors who work in a big studio system and and kick ass in a franchise. No, I mean, he's, uh, no, I mean <laughs> Shannon's not Shannon's not wrong. I mean, Ryan Coogler it, killed it. Yeah, well, no, Shannon's not saying that every person who does a giant superhero movie is destined to fail because there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen. Yeah, but I don't I don't think you can default to that every single time it happens either. I think you can definitely say that 20th Century Fox was stressed about what to do with their X-Men franchise and based on other stories from X-Men 3 and other, like, right. like that you have a lot of interference. I think one of the ways that Marvel has improved over the years, like from the mm. beginning, but it's better that they're they're finding the directors, the Kuglers, the Guns, the, you know, the who the Taikas, right. that guess. they really do trust and let them do what they want to do within the confines of what the universe is that they're building. But I think that that is the exception, not the rule. I mean, even when we were talking um, a few weeks ago about Star Wars, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and we were talking about everything with that and how like all of the cast of the Star Wars movies definitely feels like they were over those movies, but is defending JJ, even though Rise of Skywalker is a mess. And if JJ Abrams can come in to try and clean up a movie and not deliver it, then Simon Kinberg definitely can do the same with the X-Men franchise, I think. Okay. If this movie comes out and it's terrible, what's your excuse then? <laughs> I'm asking. Well, I mean, it's, it's well point, writers, sometimes writers can't direct, and they're just good writers. They, they can't I mean, like Aaron, Aaron Sorkin killed it with Molly's Game. That was actually a damn good movie, and he directed the hell out of that as his first venture. But I think sometimes you have to look at the situation, and we'll see. You're right. I mean, you guys, make, right. a great point. You guys make good points. 
This is Look, I'm just, you're, you're absolutely right. Sometimes, so, yeah. sometimes a bad director is just a bad director, yeah. even if the studio lets them do whatever they want. I mean, that's the case with Zack Snyder. So, like, there's always examples. Oh, of there it is. Yeah. There it is. You knew it was coming. You I knew it was I just want to see don't, my Twitter blow up with people telling me to go to yeah. hell. Don't <laughs> don't text us when they're outside your door. Don't text. Us. You brought it on yourself. You brought it on yourself. Uh, anyway, all right. Well, let's take a quick break. Well, anyway, all those trailers, uh, their movies are coming out. I think all three of them could go streaming, and we wouldn't miss a beat. To be honest with you, the three five five supposed to come out in January. That also doesn't bode well because you know January is the dumping ground of a lot of uh, a lot of bad movies. So we'll see. But this is an unusual twenty twenty. So maybe January is actually a bunch of good films that have been waiting to come out and they've pushed them yeah. into January. I don't know, to be honest. <laughs> and at this point, you're right. I mean, like, I the kind of what you said with Free Guy, yeah. watching all these trailers, like, these look lovely. And I was like, are we going to, are these just going to get pushed a year and we're not going to see them for a year? Or are mm -hmm. we going to watch these on streaming? Like, it is going to be weird because, yeah, I don't think, I don't think we're going to the movies anytime soon. So. Oh, real quick. Fair point. Real quick. Well, I am because I'm in San Diego. Suck it. Real quick. Uh, this uh, thing with um, um, Wonder Woman 84, the rumors are starting to get louder and louder that it might go streaming. Real quick. Would you want to see that? And do you think it's possible? I think it is possible because I think that uh, at a certain point, you can't. I mean, look, Marvel, as we talked about, made the decision to like literally move their entire cinematic schedule an entire year mm -hmm. uh, with Wonder Woman and with Suicide Squad and with the other things they're doing. Like at a certain point, they might be like, let's just get this out and see what we can do so we can keep. I don't know. I mean, I. I, I could go both ways on it. Okay. All right. Yeah, sure. I, I certainly think it's possible. I'm surprised that they, they haven't actually done it yet, mm. uh, to, to be honest. Um, uh, I'll certainly I'll certainly watch it on premium yeah. premium video on demand. But at the same time, you know, if, if the theaters don't all close, I mean, I'm happy to drive an hour to see yeah. it as well. Yeah, yeah. Or longer. From what or I longer. <laughs> the other night. So yeah, uh, the, 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 other, the other thing also, I think also someone's got to break this deadlock between the studios, the theaters, and the fans. Uh, and at some and so maybe Wonder Woman is the one that comes out. They put it on streaming. It blows the doors off the streaming numbers, makes a lot of money, and studios go, oh, maybe we can recoup some money here dropping these big titles on streaming and all of a sudden we get a glut of these films coming out and studios kind of come kind of start to move back onto schedule that could be interesting as well i don't know we'll see mm -hmm. uh, but that could be the first one across and yeah that's it that's all i'll say about it. all right uh let's take a quick break here for about five seconds here on the youtube channel but on the uh, uh, on the uh, podcast feed you'll be listening to our sponsors and then we'll come back and talk about our main topic which is breaking down the 100 most influential animated sequences according to vulture we'll be right back after this uh, we're back. No, wait. Are we back? No, what's the wrong ones? I keep putting the wrong ones up. There we go. Jesus Christ. We're off the, it's off the rails. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was, that was a full That was a full Geek Buddies multiverse right there. <laughs> what's happening? Who am I? I uh, anyway, all right, Mike, this was your suggestion, man. Why don't you tee us up on this one? Yeah, I mean, look, we were talking about it, and uh, there's not a ton of crazy news this week. And... Uh, um, my fr our friend Brian Leonard, a uh, friend, a, fr a geek, a geek buddy of ours, uh, mm -hmm. had sent me this article from Vulture where they kind of went over the 100 sequences, not movies, 
um, but the 100 sequences that shaped animation from Bugs Bunny to Spike Spiegel to Miles Morales, the history of an art form that continues to draw us in. And so they kind of went from the very, very beginnings of animation um, yeah. all the way through. And you know, to their point, they didn't want it to be the movies that shaped us because they were like, sometimes there's a not great movie, but it has that one sequence or sometimes yeah. it's a TV series. And we didn't want to just do all Disney and like the studios that could pay to have these amazing things. So it's a pretty interesting list. If you're an animation fan, which uh, I obviously am, I know these guys are, uh, it's a great thing to check out. Go to vulture.com, check out the entire list because we're not going to even get a chance to scratch the surface. It's very <laughs> dense. Uh, each, each of the uh, entries, has a little clip that you can check out. And it really does. I mean, even you learn a lot. I'm a huge animation fan. I always just kind of assume Gertie the dinosaur in my mind, uh, which is uh, um, 1914. Mm -hmm. um, in my mind, when I talk about the history of animation to me is the first animated cartoon. But uh, there's a couple really interesting contenders that kind of go back to the very beginning of film that even predate that. So yeah. um, we all checked out the list. Uh, highlights for you guys but then also beyond that um you know from an emotional standpoint as fans iconic sequences in animation that mean a lot to you personally so what did you think of the vulture list as you uh was there anything missing was there anything that you were like that was interesting that's amazing and then for you personally what are your sort of uh iconic animated moments that really uh speak to you and made you love the medium yeah i was surprised that it was not relegated to just hand-drawn animation and uh and uh computer animation that they had stop motion in there they had they had uh, king kong they had you know him the introduction of king kong back in like the 30s i think is when it came out um i, I was really impressed that they put the uh, uh golem interrogation scene from the two towers on there because i remember one golem that was just such a breakthrough in terms of visual effects but also from a storytelling uh, uh, point of view. Like it was just really, really interesting to see this character have this conversation with himself. And you're so emotionally invested uh, in the character at that point as well. Like you start to see him not just as this villain, you get to see him as this broken, this broken, tragic soul. Yeah. Um, two, one that I was surprised wasn't on there that is one of my favorites is the opening montage to Up. Yeah. Um, really, really surprised because looking at the list, in some ways they're talking about innovation, but, uh, but it's not wholly just, you know, it's not just that, like there are other things that get sequences on that list, but I thought the opening montage to up how much story they cover in such a short amount of time and also getting you fully invested into these two characters. Um, one that I wasn't surprised was on it, but is one of my personal, uh, personal favorites is the opening to, uh, the hunchback of Notre Dame. Mm. Um, you know, we know that starting with The Little Mermaid, Disney really leaned into the Broadway theatricality uh, that they could put in their animated films. And I don't think they've ever topped the opening, the, the Bells of Notre Dame from The Hunchback of Notre Dame. <laughs> I, know from, uh, I know from personal experience that in college, you spent a lot of time trying to hit that high note in your freshman <laughs> apartment in, uh, in Florida State and Tallahassee. So. Well, I also know from personal experience that I was not by myself. <laughs> there, were, there were there were there were other people one whose initials are mv were trying just as hard to hit that high note <laughs> I know, I, if you're an, if you're a um how can i say this if you're a cursory animation fan or anime or a kind of like a surface animation fan 
this is a phenomenal article to uh, really dive into and read and savor and enjoy. And look, all of us are, you know, most of us are stuck at home uh, uh, trying to fill our days with things as we do stuff and, and try to stay alive and what have you, uh, both literally and figuratively and financially. Uh, so you've got time to spend and, you know, you can watch things or play video games or whatever. But another thing to do is to kind of increase your film knowledge or increase your knowledge of a genre. And something like animation uh, is something that a lot of people don't explore as deeply as they do standard uh, live action films. And this is a way to do that. There's so much in the history. And each one of these uh, clips, as Michael pointed out, they have clips for every one of these rankings. Uh, each one of them has a pretty extensive uh, few paragraphs explanation about why it's important, about what the uh, uh, origin of it is. And for me, it was almost like walking a little bit through my childhood because a lot of these, the cartoons that are in here, I mean, the the, the, the big bad wolf going, uh, you know, going crazy over grandma. I mean, I've still used that gif with the eyes going wide open, uh, you know, about something when I, when I'm on uh, playing around on Twitter, um, the, 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 uh, all the Bugs Bunny stuff, the opera one, which was incredible. You know, Looney Tunes taught me so much about classical opera from some of the stuff they did, the Barbara Seville one, also that isn't on this list, but also it could be included. Uh, there's so much throughout the Akira motorcycle chase. I love that they included that. I was hoping we might see a Ghost in the Shell stuff because the Ghost in the Shell stuff is also incredible animation. When, uh, what was it, the Sergeant Major is like ripping out of its connective, connective tissue, connective tubes and what have you. That's a phenomenal uh, animated sequence. And so I'm surprised it didn't make it on here overall. But I do love that they included the music video for Take On Me from AHA. Let me tell you, as an <laughs> 80s kid, when that video popped up and this idea of live action mixing with with uh, with animation so seamlessly, it was unheard of. We saw it with uh, Gene Kelly and Anchors Away dancing with Jerry the Mouse, but it wasn't the same thing. What you saw in Take On Me was like, this is a seamless thing where you you were caught up in both worlds as it was happening. So for them to include, I thought was absolutely brilliant. And throughout, you know, the Miles Morales one, the jump uh, when he becomes fully, he embraces fully becoming his version of Spider-Man, uh, that's one of the sequences I will remember for the rest of my life. So there's so many great things in here. What about you, Michael? You're the you're the big animation guy, so please. Yeah, well, a couple of things, that, to touch on a couple of things that you guys said, I mean, Shannon, uh, I, uh, I was also surprised that uh, Pixar didn't have more on there. And it was a really interesting thing just because you do realize that like what this list is, and to be really clear, like we, and I think we can talk at the end of this about some of our emotional favorites, but this was yeah. not a list that was like, oh, here's like our favorite moments right. from an animated movie. Like each thing that made this list had to have sort of a technical slash historical reason for being on there. And they also made the point, which Shannon kind of brought up, is that when it came to stop motion, particularly stop motion that appears in a live action film or special effects in a live action film, there had to be like, it had to definitely fall into still animated t territory. So it's not any CG character or any CG animation. Like Jurassic Park isn't on the list because that's sort of a CG special effect mm -hmm. uh, moment, but Gollum is because the character acting and the animation in that moment, like that was a moment where animation kind of bridged the gap into live action or with Ray Harryhausen, who's on there uh, for all the work and the stop motion work that he did. 
So, I mean, I think it is like to Johnny's point, like it, not only is it a, is it a walk through your childhood if you grew up loving animation, but it's sort of an amazing history lesson. Like you go through and it like kind of touches on like one of the things that I've always found fascinating because I didn't realize this until a few years ago uh, where a friend of mine took me up to the Walt Disney Family Museum in San Francisco mm. is that we watch uh, a lot of these classic cartoons through the filter of, well, they're just classics. It's the old stuff. Uh, you know, John, I know you brought up like the three little pigs. Yeah. Like yeah. what you don't realize and it kind of this article brings it up is when three little pigs came out, it people went crazy. It won an Academy Award. Like it stayed in theaters for months and months and months and months. And it was like people had never seen anything like that before. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, um, I think Chuck Jones is quoted in the article saying the character animation on The Big Bad Wolf made him realize a whole new way of being able to like uh, have animated characters act. Previously, yeah. before Three Little Pigs, uh, most animated characters kind of had those noodle arms, you know, like like Mickey Mouse yeah. had. And this was where you started to see more of a squash and stretch. So everything is really sort of like through the historical context. I know Johnny, you were talking about Akira, and as I was yeah. watching this, I kind of flipped out. I was like, man, there was this run in our childhood. Uh, <laughs> 1988, my neighbor Totoro, which is on there with the the sequence when they're waiting at the bus stop, which is yeah. one of the best moments of that movie. 1988, yeah. also Who Framed Roger Rabbit which makes the list, uh, this, the moment that Roger Rabbit and Baby Herman go from the animated short at the beginning to the director yelling cut and you jump into live action, which yeah. is definitely one of my top favorite animated moments. Uh, then 1988 is also the motorcycle chase from Akira. Yes. Uh, yeah. 1989 is The Simpsons. And then 1989 is also part of your world from Little Mermaid. Like right. it is like, you really realize that uh, you know, this this list kind of goes through all these big moments, like the creation of animation or Hanna-Barbera coming in between Tom and Jerry and the Flintstones. And then you get to this, and then of course, Walt Disney is kind of peppered throughout, but then you get to this run in the late 80s where anime was blowing up. Yeah. Uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit invigorated animation. Uh, the Simpsons comes out as like the longest running primetime animated series ever. Uh, mm -hmm. And then Little Mermaid comes out and like blows the doors off everything. So. It's really, really kind of great to like kind of go through. And of course, like Luxo Jr., the Pixar short that sort of showed that you could have personality in computer animation and Toy yeah. Story is obviously on the list. So it's just, I, uh, it was a great thing for me to read, like um, kind of to Johnny's point, like I was, as, as you can tell from me talking about this, clearly geeking out about kind of the history of animation. Um, and you really see how a lot of the technical achievements and the technical jumps that a lot of these animators made yeah. uh, in animation kind of jumped into the live action realm, whether that is through motion capture technology or stop motion animation kind of, you know, like you just see the blending and how like how it bleeds into. I think so many times people think of animation as one genre and film as another. Yeah, but you yeah. see how you see through this list that how every genre of uh of, of storytelling can be represented in animation just as well. So um, it was a good list. Like we already kind of got the jump on it, Shannon. I know that the first 10 minutes of Up would obviously be on your list of like iconic animated moments that uh, that really like blew you away. I mean, both both Up and the opening of Hunchback are definitely like any animation lover. I would sit down with anybody and just make them watch those. What are some of the other ones when you think like Johnny, like for you growing up, like what were some of the things that made you really love animation? Wow, that is a great, great question. I mean, I think the the donkey scene in Pinocchio, when you're seeing it in the shadow, I mean, that is something that was, and I've spoken about it before, but that is an animated sequence 
that is as chilling as any horror scene I've ever seen in any movie. Uh, and the fact that you're you have a distance from it and you I mean, you watch it in shadow. So uh, I think that was their way to keep it like a G rating and also kind of maybe cheat in that they don't have to animate every little move as he's changing in the donkey. But you get the point of what you're watching and to put it in silhouette like they did was brilliant. You know, yeah. to show that it's a universal thing that it could happen to anybody. It's not just this specific person. Right. It had speaks levels. I thought. Uh, that's brilliant. I do want to add one thing when they, well, the, the fact that they threw in Terrence and Philip, I think that was fucking awesome. <laughs> Too many people walk over South Park and think it's an easy animated thing because uh, it's so simple or whatever, how they claim it's so simple to create that animation. But what they're able to do with it is phenomenal. And you look at South Park, the movie, I know Uncle Fucker is good, but like the whole movie is a motherfucking Broadway masterpiece. Like you just watch it, you're like, this could be on stage right now, the kind of I mean, the four-part harmony that mirrors Les Miserables that they do in that movie is it also deserves, I think, an incredible amount of accolades. Just like uh, a friend like me, being like the first massive, you know, kind of awesome Busby Berkeley kind of sequence that you saw in Aladdin in animation was just something to behold. I think that is also something to behold. The resistance or whatever it is that they're singing there in in the uh, yeah. South Park movie, yeah. Yeah, I really liked, uh, I think, I, I, I'm probably missing some, but uh, as far as TV animation, they hit uh, Flintstones, Voltron, actually. Uh, <laughs> Flintstones, Voltron, Simpsons, Adventure Time, South Park, yeah. Steven Universe. Actually, Steven Universe is the final one on the list. And like, honestly, uh, you know, I mean, any one of those shows, great. Uh, they have classic Voltron because that was that's sort of the ultimate example in the 80s of taking a previously existing uh, show from Japan, I think it was called Go Lion, and mm -hmm. revoicing it and recutting it and making it a different thing where Voltron became the definitive, like nobody remembers Go Lion. Right. Uh, and if you like the original Voltron and you haven't checked out the new DreamWorks Voltron on Netflix, definitely do that. But uh, Adventure Time, Steven Universe, like all of these things, it's like, it's interesting to see the things that they picked, again, not because it's an emotional favorite, but because it really like upped the genre of animation in television. Right. Well, they also had the opening to Batman the Animated Series. Right. Oh, yes, they did. That's 100% mm -hmm. true. And actually make a really interesting uh, jump because uh, the original Fleischer Superman cartoon uh, oh, yeah. that came out, uh, The Mad Scientist, which mm -hmm. uh, I believe is on HBO Go. I think you can watch on HBO Go some of the classic Fleischer Superman. Uh, it's somewhere because I just recently watched it. But like when you see those uh, and how they sort of took that the Superman from the comics and like brought him in, it was a very different animation style than what the Fleischer brothers had done up to that point. And they actually mention, I think both in the Batman section and the Fleischer section that Bruce Tim, when he was hired to sort of do Batman the Animated Series, he was super inspired by the Fleischer Superman cartoon, mm -hmm. kind of took a lot of that style and then also applied that style to his uh, Superman adventures. So you kind of see how even within this list, sort of the earlier stuff inspires the later stuff, which is cool. Yeah, I was yeah. really surprised that, I mean, they, there is some Don Bluth representation with The Secret of Nim on there. Um, oh, yeah. I was surpri I was surprised they didn't use an American tale. Um, just the uh, somewhere out there sequence that between mm -hmm. Fievel and his sister, like I was surprised that didn't make, that didn't make the cut. I, again, I think it's an interesting, yeah. it's interesting because I think again, it's like, that's an emotional favorite for most people. Uh, my brother has this uh, girl that he knows that he works with, uh, who he makes fun of her because if she even sees the words somewhere out there, she bursts into tears. <laughs> he, he occasionally will just text her uh, somewhere out there and just like, it's all over. But 
as good as American Tale is and as emotionally satisfying as that movie is, the reason that I think Secret of Nim makes the list is because uh, for those that don't know, I mean, Don Bluth was a Disney animator who kind of at the point that he was at Disney, which is kind of right getting into those dark ages where Disney wasn't doing so hot. Uh, right. He got frustrated, thought that Disney wasn't taking chances, wasn't doing anything that interesting, and him and a bunch of animators up and left and started Don Blue Studios. And mm -hmm. Secret of Nim was the first thing to come out of there. And when you look at it, you can see that this was a bunch of animators doing um, everything that they weren't allowed to do at Disney at the time. Like they, right. it's super detailed. I think when you read the article in Vulture, it talks about how when the sequence that they go to is Mrs. Brisby meeting Jeremy uh, the crow for the first time, voiced by Don DeLuise. And they're like, there's no reason for this crow to be wrapped in thread and tied up and like flopping around, except that it was Don Bluth and the animators being like, hey fuckers, look what we can actually do when you let us do it. And it's hard <laughs> and it's scary and it's moody and it's like yeah. all the things. And so I think that there was a period of time uh, that where when Don Bluth came out that Every every Disney movie that came out was in competition with Don Bluth, and Don Bluth was winning. Like yeah. <laughs> uh, American Tale came out, I believe, the same year as Great Mouse Detective, mm. and American Tale was the clear winner, like box office wise and what people loved. Uh, and then the next year, I think it was Land Before Time, and Oliver and Company. Maybe is that right? Those two came out, and it wasn't yeah. until Little Mermaid that. Uh, came out and then it disney like that which ushered in the disney renaissance and after that don bluth never well there's good there's still good don bluth stuff uh a lot of people i know are uh, big fans of titan ae i'm not i'm not the biggest uh fan of that one anastasia i love though so yeah it's it's it again it's interesting like i could talk about this stuff all day long well i also appreciated that they didn't shy away from throwing in the cosby show uh, uh animation intro that is one of my classic you mean fat albert fat, i'm sorry fat albert right not cosby show shit sorry Fat Albert, because I mean, obviously with Cosby, it's very problematic, but that Fat Albert intro was with the song and them turning into, you know, from live action against, again, into animation, I thought it was brilliant, you know? So <laughs> to have it included, I thought was a gutsy of Vulture to put that in there because they, yeah. they easily could have not included it and well, nobody think, would have been like, why, you know? I think they literally actually, uh, let me, God, I'm gonna find it. Cause like what they say is actually really fun. They actually didn't want to, and kind of to your point, and it kind yeah. of brings up as we all struggle to deal with uh, with how we handle a lot of these people that were like, ugh, this person is kind of off the list. Like we don't want to, we yeah. don't want to, you know, well, it's like the JK Rowling with the new uh, Harry Potter game on the PS5. It's like, right. there's a desire to not give these people money. But when you're looking at the history of what they've accomplished, they say like, we didn't want to use, we didn't want to go back to Bill Cosby. We would prefer not to talk about Bill Cosby, but you can't deny that what he did with Fat Albert was an important moment in the history of uh, of just representation in animation. I mean, it right. was an entirely black cast of characters right. in a cartoon, which had not really been a big thing up to that point. Yeah, yeah. And certainly was, a, I think at the time, was pretty incredibly revolutionary. I mean, there's not that many uh, animated, black, uh, black animated series now. So, you know, that's like the Proud Family, um what what else can you oh yeah certainly um what was the one film lamar uh, static shock right those are the, those mm -hmm. are rare ones that you see they don't they're not really standard much remember uh, the pjs with eddie murphy the, the pjs i love the pjs it wasn't well written but i watched it to support eddie you know and there were some funny sequences in it i mean where, where do we get our latino ones i think there was a george lopez animated one if i'm not incorrect on that maybe, maybe. It's down the road. maybe uh did robots robots not being included did that surprise you i thought that's some pretty incredible animation in robots getting the is that is that is that what i'm talking robots? about 
the one with um the one with Robin Williams where he's the voice of the robots and uh, Ewan McGregor. Do you remember that? The, I don't, yeah, the I don't know that anybody's putting that on anybody's list. Really, animated yeah. sequences in there? No, the way they got the shine right on the metal and the wall. That it's not easy. It's not easy. I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, they do talk about. I mean, when you look to talk about the shine on animation. I think yeah. Luxo Jr., uh, the oh, yeah. Pixar short that sort of kicked things off for John Lasseter and Pixar. I think they do talk about like one of, in addition to actually having a short about a lamp where the lamp is clearly emoting, which from a right. character animation standpoint is impressive. They actually do talk about the lighting uh, and, and getting that. I think like Pixar kind of gets to own the uh, all of the um, giant technical achievements in CG mm -hmm. for the most part. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of, a lot of, what Thunderbirts wasn't included. No, no, well, that's, no. well, that was that was puppeteering. It's puppets. I got you puppeteering. What there about uh, what about whoa, the? Whoa, whoa. <laughs> I'm pushing whoa. back on you. I'm pushing back on your puppeteering. <laughs> now, what about what about that animated one? I forget the name of it, man. I used to watch it all the time, and as a kid, where they're in the like the bird costumes, the with the white, like Daft Punk did an homage uh, to that. Battle of the Planets. Battle of the Planets, right? Battle of the Planets was awesome. Why isn't that included? Well, again, again, to the point of the up and the hunchback, this isn't a hundred a list of the hundred awesomest moments. It's a list right. of the hundred most important. But good to know that birds of uh, that battle of the planets is on your list. Hell yeah, um, is, man. I yeah. Love I think it. like in going through the list, I mean, I think like a Little Mermaid part of your world is on there, and that would definitely yeah. be one of mine. And like I said, Who Framed Roger? Like for me, uh, and I think we've talked about this before. Like you know, being someone who works in animation and is kind of known for being like the animation guy. Like I was at a certain age. I think I was like fifth grade, sixth mm. grade, like in that that eighty eight, eighty nine era. And I distinctly remember being at that age where I I still loved cartoons. But I was sort of cognizant of the fact that I needed to start acting a little bit more grown up. Like, like I was maybe like cartoons were kid stuff, and I was supposed to like not like kid stuff. I was supposed to like other stuff. Yeah. But then little uh, Roger Rabbit came out in '88, and Little Mermaid came out in '89, and I was like, "Fuck this shit! I'm sold for life." Like, I got <laughs> a both of those movies bridge the gap and adults thought they were amazing like they were like roger rabbit was seen as this like sort of special effects technical achievement so it made it okay for adults to go see it and then little mermaid was just so fucking good yeah that's what uh I, that yeah. from that point on like i remember i remember with little mermaid i kind of convinced my mom that we should take my younger brothers and sisters to see it because i felt mm -hmm. like you needed you needed that young kid with you to go to the movies but i think like you know the next year was Rescuers Down Under. And by Beauty and the Beast, I was going with my middle school friends and we were just like all going to see the movie like all by ourselves. Cause like that was when you were like, oh no, these movies are for adults too. Like we're in. Yeah, you talked so, about two, two sequences that could have been in there. I mean, that whole ballroom dance sequence with uh, in Beauty and the Beast. Is, I, mean, I was surprised. Gorgeous. I will say, because they jumped from Little Mermaid is on the list and then Robin Williams performing Friend Like Me is on the list. Yeah. And I was actually surprised that yeah. the ballroom scene in Beauty and the Beast wasn't included because that is such a seminal moment for yeah. CG animation being incorporated. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, other top things along those lines, like uh, Little Mermaid, I mean, Lion King in general, just for the yeah. powerhouse that it was, either Circle of Life as a sequence or the Wildebeest yeah. Stampede yeah. or the mixture of CG and 2D animation. Like that's, that's one that like, for personally, Little Mermaid, I mean, Lion King was one of the biggest ones for me as well. Um, you know, from as far as like just emotional favorites that I understand why they weren't necessarily on the list. Um, 
the test flight sequence with Hiccup and Toothless in How to Train Your Dragon. Ah, hell yeah, um, great choice. Maybe one of my maybe one of my favorite animated sequences of of all time. Um, gosh, I'm thinking through everything right now. Like, there's oh the other one that like whenever I, like we even when I brought up this subject to talk about this. Yeah. Uh, and again, I understand why it wasn't included on the list because this is emotional impact, not animation achievement. But the uh, the trash compactor scene in Toy Story Three, oh, I think, is like maybe one of the top five best animated sequences, if not sequences in film of all time to me. Just because I'm I'm no idiot, I know that Disney and Pixar are not going to kill all their main characters. But there was a split second the first time that I saw that movie when when Buzz looks at Woody and they just sort of connect and just hold hands yeah. where I was just like, are, are we doing this? <laughs> are we, are we, are we doing this? Um, huh. yeah. yeah. Ooh, Ooh, that's good stuff. It's good I got to throw in triplets of Belleville too, right? Triplets. Of Belleville. Oh, that's a great one. I love that one. I think we went to see that one, Mikey, way back when, um, over at the, uh, the, the theater in Santa Monica, that one, by the old video store that Quentin Tarantino used to work at. I think that I think we all went like a late night thing to go see that one. Uh, the Triplets of Bell is fantastic, so I was surprised there wasn't a sequence. Also, Shrek, because I I, I used to work on Shrek is on there. Shrek's on there. Which one? Which sequence is on there? Uh, the opening, All Star. Oh yeah, that's cool. But uh, there there's a sequence. Uh, I remember re, you know doing these DVDs, testing these DVDs for a long time for about five years, and we got those Shrek movies a couple of times. One of the things they spoke about was getting the hair right, getting the when when Prince Charming whips his hair on. Apparently, that was a huge huge deal to get right. So I know it's not a long sequence, but that could be a sequence to talk about as well about how technologically how much of a technological marvel it was to get that an advancement it was to get that right to get every single hair follicle or every single hair, piece of hair strand of hair kind of look correct when he was whipping his hair around in slow motion uh all of that so I i'm surprised that that wasn't on there as well yeah and i would say with finding nemo as well like how difficult yeah water is yeah and water. yeah, yeah. I, I mean like i think as far as hair go again i mean like you can really this is probably an entire other list but you yeah, can true, go true. down the list of like uh of uh, advancements in cg and you can just go pixar film by pixar film because yeah, uh you know toy story the original kind of like was the seminal achievement of a fully a full-length cg animated film uh bug life then handled crowds how do you take, how do you create a cast of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of bugs that aren't just a copy of each other? Monsters yeah. Inc. really had to nail hair. Like Sully literally has right. like individual hair follicles. And then Incredibles, you know, we take it for granted now because between all of the CG films that are out there, we have human characters day and day and night. But like, go back and look at Andy and his mom in Toy Story 1. Like right. they are freakish. And it wasn't <laughs> until... It wasn't until Pixar and Brad Bird figured out how to sort of master that sort of human but not human, like cartoony looking thing. Incredibles was the first time that we had human looking characters in a CG film that actually looked really, really interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, Shrek, Shrek gets included, interestingly, when you go look at it, not because it's a great movie, although it is, yeah. but that Shrek uh, kind of got us for better or for worse to the world that we live in where it kind of like, stomped all over 2d animation like we're now mm. everything kind of went to cg because it was so big and particularly in terms of dreamworks yeah because when dreamworks first opened when katzenberg left disney you know prince of egypt which i know johnny and i are huge fans of shannon yes. I think you enjoy but like johnny and i we love prince of egypt mm -hmm. uh gorgeous beautiful movie did good 
Uh, and then they followed it up. You know, there was there was the Voyages of Sinbad. There was Spirit. There was El Dorado. Like, there's a series of 2D movies in that sh in that DreamWorks sort of beginning that they kind of hired the best animators out of France. It's a really interesting style. It's different than Disney. It looks super super cool. And that was all doing okay. And then Shrek came out and became such a monster hit for DreamWorks that I think it says in the article. It's there's a term. There was a term at DreamWorks Animation called getting Shreked. And that's what it meant. Like you just like, well, our movie has been canceled because <laughs> we are not doing 2D animation anymore. We are mm. that is dead. We are only doing this forevermore. And so, wow. you know, some of the like so some of the things on this list are included for uh yeah. not as good reasons either. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, all right. Well, uh, yeah, it's over there on Vulture. Go take a look at it. It's called the uh, the hundred most influential sequences in animation history. It is a very very extensive article, and I'm trying to scroll up so I can give credit uh, to the writer of this or the writers. Edit it's edited by Eric Villas Boas and John Mayer. So John M A H E R, not M A Y E R. So maybe John Marr. Uh, but yeah, they they went through all this. I'm sure they got uh, suggestions from a number of their staff uh, about scenes. That's usually how it works uh, on things like that. And uh, but they give credit to all the directors. Uh, and the studios that release these uh, these uh, animated sequences within their movies, TV shows, or uh, music videos, or uh, what have you. So it's great to see. And Michael, great suggestion, man. That was a fun, fun thing to talk about. Yeah, I mean, look, obviously, you know, we love doing this, and I love doing it more even than these guys do because I just could talk about animation all day long. But it's like it's a really fun thing to sort of dive in, and it's always great when you have a list like this that isn't just a. Uh, all the things that you yeah. expect to see. Like there's a lot of things on here that I'm gonna go check out afterwards because mm. even for me, who's like a super nerd, there's a bunch of sequences on here from movies, especially the older stuff that I've never seen or checked out. So uh, definitely check out the list. Uh, it's a great little history lesson, great walk down memory lane, and also like great for you to let us know like what are your emotional favorites? Check it out. What are the things that you think they missed out on? Yeah, yeah, great point. Uh, all right, well, that's uh, this episode of the Geek Buddies. Thank you all so much for uh, downloading uh, this. If you were listening to us on the podcast, uh, uh, any podcast feed that you're listening to us on, or if you're watching us on the YouTube channel, on the Outlaw Nation YouTube channel, thank you so much for spending time with us again with this week. We've been growing and growing, getting bigger and bigger numbers. So thank you so much for spreading the word and for all of you coming back every week uh, to uh, watch don't, our show or listen to our show. Don't spread COVID. But do spread the word on the Geek Buddies. That's right. Unmask yourself for the Geek Buddies. Mask yourself up. No, 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 no. You can do Geek Buddies and keep the mask on. Uh, all right. If you say be safe. So. Just all be right. safe. Just to be safe. All right. Fair enough. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to say anything about that. All right. Um, uh, it's been five days since our dinner, and I'm still alive. So you were good to go the whole time. I don't know. <laughs> Shannon, uh, Shannon uh, tell them what we got to tell them. Yeah, if you'd like to follow us on social media on Twitter, it's at geek underscore buddies on Instagram at the underscore geek underscore buddies. If you'd like to follow me on social media on Twitter, it's at Shannon underscore McClung on Instagram at Shannon the Geek Buddy. If you would like to follow Mr. Vogel, it is at MK Tune. If you would like to follow Mr. Roca, it is at the Roca Says. Well, Mikey? Um, you know, and if you're enjoying all of this animated conversation between us, uh, us three guys, uh, and you want to keep it going, here's some things that you can do. Uh, first of all, you can hit the like button right below uh, so that everybody knows how much you like this conversation. You can subscribe to Johnny's Outlaw page, which is filled with all kinds of awesome goodness. Um, definitely leave a comment. We definitely always respond. We check them out. We love to hear from you. That's where you can let us know what your favorite animated sequences are from an emotional standpoint, what you think that the list uh, missed out on. 
And if you are listening to us on uh, Apple Podcasts or Anchor or Spotify or anywhere where podcasts are available, definitely uh, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. It helps us go up in the lists. And we want to like we want to make that top 10 list for entertainment podcasts and we'll only do it with your help. Uh, and also the best thing you can do, uh, is follow us on Twitter. Like Shannon said, follow us on Instagram, get other people to follow us, post this video, uh, put it on your Facebook page, tell everybody to check it out. All of your friends who are movie dorks, have them join in the conversation and let's all get geeky. There you go. All right. Nothing more to add except thank you so much. And, uh, we'll talk to you next time on another brand new episode of the geek buddies. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.